Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fully Booked, the Hidden Gems author podcast, in which Craig Touch and myself, Roland Hume, chat to some of the interesting figures and leading lights in this crazy industry of writing and self-publishing. And today we are absolutely delighted to have as a special guest, Travis Cody, who has two first names, both of which sound like they should be a a romance character. And uh, he is a very, very exciting guest to have on board because he is one of the few people to be successful in writing in four different industries. So Hollywood screenwriter, journalist, one of the top copywriters in the world and an author. So that's all four quadrants covered there. Travis, we are delighted to have you on, on the show. How are you? Thanks, today? happy to be here. And of course, we wouldn't be here without the man himself, Craig Touch, the owner and founder of Hidden Gems and an author himself. How are you doing today, Craig? Doing well, thank you, Roland, and uh, welcome, Travis. This is exciting. As we, uh, as Roland mentioned, you know, you, you are successful in so many different areas. Um, and there are tons of things we could talk to you about. Uh, but, you know, today we were, you know, we need to focus on something. So we were going to focus on uh, actually what happens to be the topic of your latest book, Bestseller by Design. Um, it's the idea that movies and, um, and books, so screenplays and books sort of have the same process behind them when it comes to putting them together and writing and, and all that. Um, and so, you know, we're going to get you to take us through that. But uh, to, to start off, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and, and how you got all started and how you ended up where you are today? Well, I, I'm, I'm one of those uh, annoying people that writing has always just sort of come easy to me. Uh, it's one of those things that I didn't really it's so I have some friends that are fantastic artists and you know from the time they were seven or eight years old they were making three-dimensional lifelike doodles right they didn't even think about it they just did it and the rest of us are looking at that going oh my gosh I do that uh it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I realized that's sort of the way it was with with me and writing so uh, and I guess I'm a bit of a protege not protege prodigy uh, my grandfather was a fairly accomplished writer. He had sold uh, a lot of writing in his lifetime. I actually didn't know that until after he passed away. And uh, the advent of this mystical thing called the Internet, I Googled my grandfather's name and found an article that was interviewing him talking about how he had sold 2,500 articles by the time he was 25. So this was back in the 40s and 50s, so selling articles directly to the magazines. Um, so I guess you could say it's in my blood. But I wrote my first book when I was 12. At uh, 16 years old, I, I essentially got recruited by a, a newspaper and became the, the youngest paid journalist in their 128-year history. Um, had my eyes set on Hollywood. So after after I got out of uh, college, I headed to, to Hollywood and ended up as a screenwriter working for a producer by the name of Jonathan Crane. He was John Travolta's manager, producing partner for about 20 years. So he did some huge movies, Phenomenon, Look Who's Talking, General Stodder, Broken Arrow. Uh, swordfish those were all his so that was i worked with him directly for 15 years uh and along the way i just would kind of write and publish books with again i didn't really think about it it was just oh i have this idea let me figure that out i publish it i did everything they tell you not to do didn't have an audience didn't have a platform didn't really have a goal for it it was more of just entertaining to myself I'm like oh let me write this idea down and put it in a book and then i would publish it and wouldn't give it any thought at all as you was just so i have some books that it just exists out there. Uh, and then, yeah, I I became enamored with direct marketing when I was working in Hollywood, working with Jonathan Crane, because this whole idea of direct marketers can spend a dollar and they know exactly how much money they're getting back for that dollar spent. That was that was like alien language to me in Hollywood. Our marketing department was like, let's just throw $100 million at this thing and hope for the best, right? I, I actually remember conversations I had where I went in and said, well, if we're spending $10 million with HBO, how do we know how much money we're getting back from HBO? And they're like, what are you talking about? That's not how this works. Like, it's $10 million with HBO and $10 million with ABC, and we put this amount here. And so I, I originally started studying sales copy because I wanted to see, is there, a, is there a way to bridge direct marketing and Hollywood principles? And I thought if I could ever figure that out, you know, Bob's your uncle, as they, they would say. So um, when my mentor passed away, uh, we had some huge projects that we were working on. They all kind of, you know, fell apart because they were all based off of his track record. And I was just burnt out on Hollywood, to be honest. I was I was tired of the grind. I was tired of the... Uh, the mindset, definitely tired of the egos. Uh, and so I just had a bunch of opportunities to sort of 
transition directly into sales copy. And uh, that's where I, I, I lived for, for a number of years and I would publish books and write sales copy for people. And eventually sales copy clients started asking me, can you help me do a book? And that's how I ended up sort of becoming a, a book coach. I didn't choose that. Uh, I, I helped one person. It did well. They hit the, the bestseller list. All their friends asked them, how did, how did that work? Hey, go talk to that guy. And being the brilliant marketer that I was after about the 20th person that paid me money, I said, hey, maybe, maybe there's something. To, maybe people need some help with this. <laughs> so here we are. I find that, that fascinating. I mean, I, the blurb of a book sells it or doesn't sell it. I mean, uh, and I've always been good at writing blurbs because I come from a, a copywriting background. And I think that's it. It's a different skill set to writing. Yeah. It is. And, you know, this is the, I just had this conversation with my wife a couple of days ago. So that this, the irony of all of this is I've written a ton of stuff. I have never actually written a, a fiction book. I've never written prose. And so I'm in the process of, I'm like, I'm just going to take all the screenplays that I wrote and turn them into books. And dealing with the ego of realizing like, oh, man, I'm really good in all these other things. And now I'm starting prose fiction. And it's a completely different skill set and having to sort of look in the mirror and go, I am a complete and utter novice <laughs> when it comes to this. And my ego does not like admitting like, but no, like you write all these amazing sales letters and you've sold screenplays. And when it comes to a book, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I had to hire a coach to help me because I, I, I am trying to write my, my prose like uh, screenwriting and you can't do that. They're different. They're different skill sets. So. So is that uh, what led you to uh, writing this one, the bestseller by design? So from what you've learned from that process? So bestseller by design was a book designed for entrepreneurs, founders, coaches, consultants, anybody who has got an ex some experience in their industry and they are able to, you know, they have their own process for helping people get a result. So it's bestseller by design was created entirely for someone who's in business that wants to become a best-selling author and then use that book to grow their, their business. Right. Yeah. Like or, a lead. It yeah. It happens to be coaches and consultants for most of the people that find me on LinkedIn, but I really broke down the process that when someone hires me to work with them, like what are the exact steps that I take someone through for A to Z to go from, I have an idea to being published on Amazon. And then, you know, once that's done answering that big question of, your book's published and it's on the bestseller list and you, you have that excitement for about eight seconds before your brain goes, well, now what? <laughs> now, now what do I do with this thing? So we, we, we help them answer the now what of how do you actually then leverage the book to help you reach your goals? So for me, what that came down to was it was sort of a, you know, just like anything, it was, it was several years to sort of synthesize the ideas. But the process that I take people through is a six-step process and I call it the movies process, M-O-V-I-E-S. Uh, one, because it's a catchy phrase and, and two, and my clients have a tendency to get lost in the woods, which, you know, we all do that from time to time. I'll just ask them like, okay, so where, where, let's go back to the movies. Where are you at? Which step were you in? Oh, I was on V. Okay. Let's now we can get in there and go. And it just gives somebody, people a, a little mental, like to keep coming back to, to where they, they need to be so they can to help reach their goals. And I guess, I mean, so, so, okay, so, oh, sorry, go ahead, Craig. I was just going to say, how how about we quickly go through the movies process? What are uh, what are sure. those steps? So this is the 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 insight that I had again, fifteen years in Hollywood, and I don't know nine or ten books before I went. Hey, wait a minute! <laughs> Write, writing a book and making a movie are actually a very similar process. So and there's six steps to this, right? So in Hollywood, you have pre-production. And pre-production is you got a plan. You know, it's when the scripts are getting done, locations are being found. Right? Nobody's given Steven Spielberg two hundred million dollars, and he's showing up on set with a hundred people, going, "Right, what are we? What are we doing?" For whatever reason, a lot of first-time authors, when they sit down to write a book, that's kind of what they do. They just sit down and like, "I have an idea, and I'm just going to start writing, and the idea will find me." <laughs> so, if you'll go through a pre-production process first and actually plan what you want to talk about. It's going to make the process much easier when you get into production, step two, which is the physical creation of, of, of the product, right? Now, here's the interesting thing about filmmaking, pre-production, production, post-production. Post -production. It's about an 18-month, 18, uh, 18 to 24-month process. 
the actual physical making of the movie where their cameras are on and they're putting stuff on film, that's the shortest part of the entire process of filmmaking. But it, that's where all the sex appeal is. So everybody thinks, oh, that's where everything happens. But it's not. It's like that's the, the smallest time. And I realized that when you're creating a book, it's exactly the same way. If you do the pre-production, if you plan correctly, the actual creation of the rough draft of your your book, that is actually the shortest part of the process. So for my clients, I say 30 days or less, but I've had clients that, you know, very busy CEOs, they, they'll just fly out to Vegas for two days and we'll actually get the whole thing done in a weekend. Now, look, I emphasize, emphasize rough, right? We don't, we don't create that quickly and have it published ready. And that, that's another sort of big myth that I, I find off, first-time authors that I'm working with is they're, I'm going to write this thing and it needs to be published ready the instant that I write it. And what's interesting is, again, coming back to Hollywood, when you, I, I don't know if you've ever seen a Marvel movie and seen behind the scenes of a Marvel movie yeah. or any sort of well, big... It's just green, yeah. isn't it? Behind the scenes. Just green. Yeah, I mean, look, Avatar. Have you seen Avatar? Yeah. They got b- yeah. blue dots on there. For the, that's what they actually yeah. filmed. That's on the camera. <laughs> you know? And so Steve, James Cameron isn't going, hey, here's, you know, here's the, the people with blue dots on their face and we're going to put that on the screen and everyone's going to pay us for that. No. Like they know that's the rough draft. And then it goes through this whole other process of getting cleaned up. And this is the other interesting aspect of it is that it's somebody else that's doing it. James Cameron isn't doing, generally speaking, isn't doing the editing, isn't doing all the CGI, isn't doing the sound. Now, you know, he'll, he'll oversee that, right? Same Spielberg doesn't do the editing or CGI. They, they take it to a, post-production where other experts come in and they do it for you. And as authors, that's one of the ways we can compress time, plan well, create quickly, realizing it's a rough draft, and then find a team of experts who can help you polish it to where you need to be. And so that way, instead of spending three or four hours a day, you can drop down to maybe an hour a week because you're overseeing someone else that's editing it and helping you put the polishing to polish polishing touches on it is that what i'm trying to say there polishing touches i don't know i like that so that so that's so now there we are in the film right pre-production production production, post-production so then what do we got to do all right well now we've got to do the world premiere so for authors that's getting the book on amazon and live then hollywood does a huge pr campaign you know three weeks of the stars out there hitting the circuit talking about the movie that's the worldwide launch so for for authors that's marketing their book and doing everything they can to push it up onto the bestseller list and the final step in my process is s it stands for sales machine but it's more about how do you merchandise your book and this is another big mistake that that people will, will get caught up with books is they get focused in on book. Everything is on book sales. All the money is from book sales. And it's all got to be on Amazon. I got to sell my book on Amazon. But that's not where the real money is made. The real money is made on the back end. How do you leverage it, right? And it's the same with Hollywood. The movie is really just a tool to sell merchandise. I mean, every Marvel movie, every Disney movie, it's all designed to sell something else. And a good example of this is this, the, the first six Star Wars movies. So those movies collectively made about $4.6 billion at the box office. Nothing to sneeze at. And that's what everybody focuses on. George Lucas happened to own 100% of the merchandising to Star Wars. And that for those same six movies, he made $28 billion off of merchandising. So he made four times the amount of money from leveraging those movies for something else. And it's the same, again, in my process, if, you, if you're a coach or a consultant or a, a thought leader, using the book to push and, and how do you merchandise that now? So for many of us, it's info products, it's coaching programs, it's workshops, it's live events, right? So I, I always like to say it starts with the book and, and ultimately a book for you is like, it's I, I call it the magic key. It opens this door to opportunities that you don't really have without it, but you got to get the book done first. And so it, with the, with the work that I do with my clients, we really are intentional with, it's great. Let's get the book done, get it on the best. Let's be number one at the box office for the weekend, right? But then let's really merchandise that. And now let's really leverage it and start creating juice out of it. And um, Bob Proctor, if you know who he is, he, he actually oh, has, yeah. he, he has a, one of my favorite quotes where somebody was asking him what they said, oh, I want to be a millionaire author like you. And he said, oh, no, like there's a misperception there. He, and he said, I haven't made a dime off of any of my best-selling books. 
And you could hear the audience kind of gasp, was like, what? And then he got this little twinkle in his eye and he said, but I have made millions from being a best-selling author. And it's because all of his books pushed into his, his other programs. Uh, and I yeah. think that's if you're an entrepreneur and you're wanting to use a book to you know, be more influential and have more impact, looking at the book as a tool that's a leverage point to help you get other things is, you know, that, that, I think that's a smart play. I mean, and, and I, these are both different strategies too, right? I'm not saying – like I have clients that are selling thousands of copies per month on Amazon, and, but that's a strategy. Right. And then you've got people that are in the direct marketing space like Russell Brunson or Frank Kern, and they're selling all of their books off of Amazon. Right. Also a strategy. Two different strategies. It just depends what your goals are. Yeah. I, it's very interesting how you mentioned like a direct sales is a thing. We just had a gentleman called Steve Piper on who was talking about are, or is the next generation of authors going to be doing direct sales rather than selling on Amazon? Yeah. I, I think there's a, a bit of both, but I, I think most authors are probably going to. You know, that I think most of the juice is going to be building community. Obviously, we leverage Amazon to help that. And, you know, people, let's face it, somebody Googles you. <laughs> Amazon is usually, if you got books on Amazon, that's the second or third thing that comes up. So there is a, a place for it. But yeah, I think we're getting back into the sort of the small, having small communities that, that support their, their artists is just, just kind of the, like back in the days with the vinyl, right? There would be a small sort of cult of people that followed the the artists on the vinyl records that that kept them and having them a career. And every now and then they would kind of break out. And I think I think author wise, I personally I feel like it's more of an enjoyable process when you're directly connected to your audience as well, because you can get that direct immediate feedback, which I don't think that you can have with a, 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 a you know a big publisher like Penguin or Random House. Absolutely not. So oh, that's fascinating. I think. Uh... Yeah, and I, th- I mean, I think a lot of this is sort of geared towards nonfiction writing, right? So this book is, yeah, yeah. And I mean, that process. I think a lot of it would work for both, right? But I think the idea of you know uh, the people that are making more of their money from the ancillary stuff related to being a bestseller are people like you're talking about, like thought leaders, CEOs, you know, entrepreneurs, people that are going to, yeah. Um, like that are speaking, doing public speaking events and, yep. you know, they can sell their book afterwards, but also it's the fact that they're a best-selling author that helps draw that crowd in. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's a le- one of the leverage points, right? Can you get a best-selling yeah. book and then leverage that to get paid speaking engagements? Right. So, I mean, right. you've heard story and I have two clients that do this where they, in lieu of a uh, speaking fee, like how many people are going to be in your audience? Oh, we're going to have 600 people. Awesome. I'm not going to charge you a speaking fee. You just have to get on Amazon and buy 600 copies of my book. Right. And so they're also leveraging it that way. Right. Right. So there's ways to do it. The the, the funny thing is the, the, the three steps of the process are the same for fiction as well. You do need to plan. And I know there's a lot of debate about, answers versus plotters. Yeah. And I, I always have people ask me about that and, I'll just say, so I actually ran the the writer's room for Jonathan Crane. We, you know, we, over the years, we had probably 25 different writers that kind of came through at any given time. We'd have six or seven writers in the writer's room. And I will say that when I was there, all of the writers that were pantsers, they all had like at least a dozen half finished screenplays. All the writers that were plotters didn't have any unfinished screenplays because they are, they had them done. Now it doesn't mean they, they, you know, some of them are rough drafts, but they were actually completed and done. So I, I would say I'm hard, I'm hard pressed to to see the, the advantage of a, of a pantser over a plotter from my experience. <laughs> um, Listen, I think I'm, it, I'm Stephen King would argue with me. I know for sure. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, we, you know, it's a different mindset for sure. We had we had an episode where we uh, sort of did a pantser versus plotter um, throwdown, and we had somebody who was, you know, more firmly pantser and more firmly plotter, and uh, and then you know, I'm far more of a plotter, and Roland is sort of in between, but he he can go and be plot, pantsing or plotting, but but I, you know, for me, it, it's almost like. I can't even imagine sitting down without any idea about what I'm going to write and then just, and then just going. And then I, I feel like I'd write myself into a corner half the time. Yeah. Well, that that's what these screenwriters did that I worked with that had a bunch of, you know, a dozen half finished screenplays. <laughs> yeah. get to a point, couldn't I, figure it out. Now, there's not to say like, so for me with my brainstorming, when I'm sitting down and coming up with my big ideas for what I want to write about, that's all 
pantser, right? Like it's all free form brainstorming in a room with a whiteboard and just writing any idea that comes down. Sure. Well, but then once yeah. we've got one core idea, then that's where we'll sit down and start building plot around uh, around that. And we, and we I, I don't think you can plot a big idea. I think that does have to be a bit of a free form. Haven't they always said that, you know, cu- coming up with the concept could be it was a group activity, writing was a solitary activity? It is, yeah. Well, in the writer's room, is exactly what it was, you know, yeah. and, uh, and and that was the beautiful thing about it is, and and I have a story, like I, there's a, a project we're working on, the, the partner and I are on called the writer's room, and it's a virtual online community for, for writers, and it came about like several years ago, I was kind of looking at my productivity with writing. And it was just like, man, like it was not the way that it used to be when I was in Hollywood. I, I used to, you know, we would plot a script in a week and I would write a script in a week. And and I was trying to figure out why, why now that I was independent doing sales, copy and marketing in my own books, why were there some weeks that were super productive and some that weren't? And it was that camaraderie. It was the sitting down with people and having the ability to brainstorm, talk things through and then go, okay, great. And so you weren't always just kind of stuck in your, stuck in your head by yourself in your office. Right. Which is yeah. that, uh, kind of what, where yeah. we are right now. And so, but there, there that, is ha- having somebody to bounce off ideas is uh, is uh, crucial. I think. I love that. I mean, I, I totally agree with that. You know, everybody's mind works differently, right? You, you start down a certain path and you can get to, a spot right but then somebody else can come in and take you past that spot and that might be their only contribution and they just come in and say hey but what about this and that's a great idea and you just move off you know onto that i i i talked about this a while back i haven't done it in a while but i actually did a little experiment with uh chat gpt the ai sort of stuff where i basically went in and told it that we were part of a writer's room and uh, I wanted to create four different personalities for, and, and, you know, this person is this, and and then we're just going to brainstorm ideas. And I use that to brainstorm ideas. And even that worked well, because it was, I was, you know, I would have it tell me some initial ideas and I said, I don't like that one. And then I'd say, what about this one? And then, and then we'd move off on that one and it would take me in directions. I never would have gone myself, but I was able to hone it in and and make it my own, but still keep having it feeding me different ideas. Well, the beautiful thing when we were in the writer's room is also, so most people don't know this, but there is sort of a vetting process of like, how do you know what your niche is going to be in, right? So there's kind of like, when you start working with people, you realize very quickly, some people are really fantastic with dialogue, right? The the argument would be that Quentin Tarantino is probably one of the best dialogue screenwriters in, in history, Right. So in Hollywood, normally, if you're really good with dialogue, you're going to if you want to have a career, focus your time and attention on procedural type movies or shows because they're all like all dialogue driven. You know, some people were really good with characters and characters was really good. So now if you're really good with character, you're probably going to go after psychological thriller type projects. Uh, other people are really good with just situations. They they not good at dialogue, not good at character, but they're very good at coming up with uh, the just outrageous uh, situations. Those guys, they would we would push them into situational comedies because they they they're the ones that come up with the fresh stuff. And then some people, and this this was sort of my superpower when I was there, were, were scenes. They would have the and back in the day, and we don't have this anymore. But back then, we used to call it the water cooler moment. Right. So back in the 80s and the 90s movies, they would always go, what's the water cooler moment? What's the moment of the movie that on Monday morning after the movies opened, everybody's going to stack around the, the water cooler going like, oh, my God, did you see that scene? And so that that's what I was. And those w- we would usually push into feature films. And so that was sort of and, and most of my movies, that's how they started. It started with one my my ideas, my screenplays would start with just this one big idea, and then I would build a whole storyline around that. And so now when you're in a writer's room, so for me, I'm not really great at dialogue. And I will readily admit my my dialogue is 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 it's not the greatest. So I will come up with the the idea and I'll write the story and then I'll go find somebody who's really good with dialogue and I'll say, hey, can you help me make these you know this dialogue a lot better than it is and so you then you can get the feedback from someone and i it's just like anything right i i in in movies the idea of being a, being a collaborative process that 
like, of course, like we just to get that for whatever reason, when it comes to our own writing, whether it's nonfiction or fiction, people get very like, oh, no, this has to be 100 percent all me and nobody. Otherwise, it's not my book. I've heard that. Oh, if somebody if somebody else is editing it, then it's not really my book. I'm like, but are you an editor? No. Yeah. <laughs> so then why, why, why is it not? I don't, somebody actually is an editor. That's what they get paid for. Right. It's, it's sort of like, um, if you're doing paid traffic online, right. Uh, somebody who specializes in Facebook ads is going to have, he's way different than somebody who specializes in YouTube ads. Right. So you don't want to hire a YouTube ad guy to, to run your Facebook ads, but asking, talking and collaborating is, is how, how you're going to get the best result. Yeah. I, and I think, you know, this, the idea, I think that a lot of people have about the solitary process is more around sort of probably more around fiction writing um, yeah. and the actual process of writing the the book itself, as opposed to the other stuff like the editing and the, and the marketing, because yes, yeah. I mean, most people, and we always tell people like, go to, go to the experts on that. You can't be an expert on everything, right? You don't yeah. have time. And, and you don't, most people don't have the interest. You don't want to, a lot, I hear from authors all the time that said, you know, I, I just, I don't want to do the marketing. I don't want to do the, the sales. I don't want to write the blurb. That's not my strength and I'm not interested in it. And, you know, so that's why we say, you know, that go to someone who is uh, an expert in that. Um, it's worth the, the money that you have to spend because you'll have a much better product and you'll sell more copies if you get that stuff done right. Yep. Find the person who's the expert and, and let them let them do their thing. Right. I think so, that's something that's familiar to, to most successful writers, because it's like they'll have cover designers, they'll have editors, they'll. Yeah, it's you can't really do it alone. Or if you do, you do an inferior job and it takes much longer and it's less successful. Yeah. I and mean, you have somebody like Dan Brown. Right. And he said, that, like, yeah, my, the only reason my books are as good as they are is because my my editor is able to help me find the story. Yeah. Right. And you look at you look at like how prolific that guy is, and even he's just like, oh yeah, this person helps me get out of my own way. And I I, I think yeah. that's the, probably the challenge of working alone, right? Is it's really easy to get get in your own way. So it's a, it's like really so I find it interesting because this whole concept of writer's block. Everybody's like, oh, I have writer's block, and so it's like, where does that come from? And is it real thing? And how does that work? But when you look at how our brains work. You know, we're 3,000 to 4,000 thoughts a minute. That, that's what science says that we're chattering at. We'll talk at 150, 200 words a minute, right? So we're literally, if we're being very conservative, we're, we, we talk 10 times slower than our brain is actually processing stuff. And now we get in front of a computer and we sit down to type, and most people are only typing at 40 to 50 words per minute. So now you're like, 2000 times slower than your brain. So when you're typing at 50 words a minute, you have 1950 thoughts bouncing around your head while you're doing that. And all the oh I'm saying the right thing, is that the way it should be? Like would my English teacher grade me wrong with that? Is that the right grammar? Is this good? And so like you just have end up having all of this noise. Uh and so I think for me I'm like I think that's a lot of times where the it's not necessarily writer's block. It's just we're 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 trying to make our brain do something that's inherently just massively slower than how our brain wants. It'd be like a governor on a car, right? Got a Ferrari that can go 300 miles an hour, but we put a governor on it and it caps it out at 50. And so you're stomping on the gas and the car's like, I want to go faster, but I can't. Yeah, I mean, I have that issue in the sense that, um, you know, uh, too many things are going on in my head. And by the time I go to, to do something, I've forgotten what I was going to do because I get distracted by the other thoughts. And, and I think that that's true. We need that that brain interface that, uh, you know, Musk is working on, Neuralink. <laughs> so we can we can write our books in instance, you yeah, know, yeah. that would be. Uh, like the Matrix, be like, just give me the tank. Give me, let me pull, fly the helicopter tank. Just, all right, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know Kung Fu? Not yet, but I will. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, look, the, you know, the process that you've gone through, too. So you're not you're no longer in in the in Hollywood, right? You're you're, you're not full time. I, I, pe I, people still hire me to consult on screenplays. Um, I, I still write. Uh, I, you know, I have like a lot of what I'm doing with my my book work is to to actually facilitate 
getting like I have a couple of low budget films that we're getting ready to shoot here in, in Vegas. So not at the level that I used to be, but my foot's still in it just because I love it. And that's and what do you love about what you do now? I think with what I'm doing and the reason why I wrote bestseller by design was like, I feel like everybody deserves to have their voice out in the world and whatever that looks like. Right. So right now I've been focused primarily on entrepreneurs because I'm meeting a lot of people that have fantastic processes and strategies for helping businesses be successful and grow. And so I look at that going, if I can help this guy get his voice out into the book and then you can turn that book into and merchandise it in the right way and he can grow a seven or eight figure business, how many businesses is he helping or saving or rescuing and how many jobs is that saving? And so the idea of like being able to help really good, ethical, decent people expand their reach to help other people. I, I guess in a small way, it's, it's, it's my little contribution of like, how, how many people can I help? Because the more I can help, the more I can help the world be a better place. And, you know, That's frankly, wonderful. right now, the, the, the world seems a little bit uh, chaotic and hopeless. So yeah. I'm trying to it find people filled with sure. hope and, and, and optimism to put them, put, put them into the world as big as big as opportunities we can. Absolutely. Yeah. What a great, what a great philosophy. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so, okay. So, Getting back to you know the idea of of the same strategies used for for marketing your book and and, and uh, you know movies you know I guess you know we went through the steps of your movie steps uh, briefly and um, you know pre production production post production you know and then we, you know talked about a little bit about the marketing and sales but you know when you'd mentioned about um some of the marketing strategies of hollywood blockbuster movies are are similar or the tactics they use can be similar to what you can do in with uh, marketing your book so can you talk about some of that sure i think the the probably the biggest mistake and, and i'm guilty of this just like everyone else is you know we're what 10 years into to what i would call the the, the content age right <laughs> thanks to gary v i Grand, grand, grand. I'd be putting out 300 pieces of content every every week. But what's interesting when we think about that, that's pretty much you talking about you and what you do, right? But as I thought about that, like content versus like, like I, a while back, I was sitting back going, so okay, what is it that makes somebody like a true celebrity? What is it that makes somebody like a true movie star? Like, what is it about Tom uh, Cruise that makes him, you know, the biggest movie star of the world? And when you look at those people, you realize that they rarely are talking about themselves. It's as everybody else is talking about them. You know, Tom Cruise isn't talking about how amazing he is with his stunts. It's everybody else going like, Oh my God, look how crazy Tom Cruise is about his stunts. And I look at that going, it's sort of, we do this weird opposite thing in the, in the, in the business world where everybody's like, talk about yourself as much as you can to as many people as you can. And I think that's the wrong strategy. I think instead when you create the right, the right strategy, to get other people start talking about you. So what does that look like? You know, podcasts, obviously interviews and and having other people talking about what you're doing is one way to do it. Um, Doing featured articles on bigger websites, like really high traffic websites, authority sites like Yahoo, Bloomberg, Medium, uh, Forbes, right? Where the articles are written. And this probably comes back to my journalism background, right? How can you tap into somebody who's got a bit of a voice and have them talk about what you're doing to their audience. So I, I guess online and social media, that would that would the, the version of that would be influencer campaigns, right? Can you reach out to influencers and work with them to have them talk about you? And when you can do that, I that's I feel what takes you from being sort of like a solid actor, you know, day player. You got your TV show that you're constantly working uh, as a metaphor of like I'm a coach. You know, I've got okay clients. My business is six-figure business is okay. But when you can get other people to start talking about you, that's when you now are going to start hitting up into the A-list, right? That's when you're going to start getting invited to speak at the bigger mastermind events or the bigger, bigger conventions and that sort of stuff because other people are talking about you. You know, Jack Carr, as an author, is a real pioneer in that. He creates, like, relationships with big Instagrammers, and, and like, everyone is talking about it because they're excited about it. It's like, yes, he did great things writing this the terminal list and getting it made into a thing, but what's really exciting is when fans get to interact with him, then they're like, okay, let's, let's write articles about him, let's talk about him more, let's make videos about him more. And so yeah. it's, yeah, I can see the, the wisdom in what you're saying. 
Yeah. And, and you know, we're, we're in this kind of amazing little period right now where even, you know, even celebrities have more direct access to their fan base than we've ever had before. Right. You know, that whole concept of the ivory tower that, that did exist where there was like arm's length and they never enter again. And I think some that, that led to the mystique, but I think there's also something to having, you know, like if, if you're in England, being able to actually meet the King or have a phone call with the King or have a live stream with the King, right. That, that's like, that's like almost mind blowing that you could actually do that. And I think that's sort of where, where we're at with, with celebrities and especially for us, us mere mortals in the, in the, you know, and just writing books and, and working in the business space. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so do you have any sort of tips for, for how people would do all those things or is it just a matter of, you know, reaching out to all those places to, to try? Yeah. To you know, it's, it's like them. everything, right. I mean, I have the strategies that work for me and whether or not though, but I, I also happen to be a little bit more extroverted. So it, I can give my advice, but somebody who's introverted may be like, Oh my God, I would never do that. Right. Uh, but a lot of the, writers the, are introverted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's why we enjoy being, and, and it's interesting because I do have parts of that where I'll, I'll say I'm extroverted. Like I can go into a room and work a room and be great and have, make amazing com- conversations. And, th- but then when we're done and everybody's like, Oh, we're going to go out now and party. I'm like, no, I just want to go back to my room and be by myself. <laughs> so I do need, I do need a period where I got to recharge. But for me, the thing that's moved the needle the most has just been going to conventions live events, some masterminds, you know, doing, doing the smaller, when I say conventions, probably workshops where there's like three to 500 people that are coming in attendance and just being very sort of proactive in not going to my room in between going in the hallway, maybe, you know, going to the bars and just striking up conversations with people. Uh, when I look back at it, I mean, that, that's essentially how I ended up meeting uh, Jonathan Crane. Uh, I had met somebody and we became friends and we're chatting and he's like, you should really talk to my friend. And he took in my screenplay. Right. And so it is, it, it is about relationships. And I think that so like Jack Carr, I think is a good example of that. Like he, you know, he has been very intentional of, of reaching out. This is the thing too. A lot of people are like, yeah, but these people are getting uh, hit all the time. They are. Yeah, of course they are. But if you're creative, and this is like for me when the where the direct marketing comes back, and also uh, just a, a brief story of how I've done this. Do you guys know who uh, ClickFunnels? What ClickFunnels is, or know of Russell Brunson? ClickFunnels, yes, I, I downloaded the the uh, tutorial of that at some point, but I don't think I've ever so, watched it. Yeah, so ClickFunnels is a SaaS product that helps you build online sales funnels, essentially like websites, but it's it, very strategic. That company is going to do. Uh, this year, they're, it's, uh, it's hundreds of millions of dollars. So it's, wow. it's a pretty, pretty big company. So the founder of that company, uh, his name is Russell Brunson, and he actually launched that company with a book called Dotcom Secrets. And and so in my space at the time, Russell was somebody I really wanted to get on his radar with. And so I just any like I would be at a conference and I would meet somebody who was you know let's say they they would be like low A list, top B list celebrities in the Hollywood space, right? And that, hey, do you know Russell Brunson? Oh, yeah, I know Russell Brunson really good. Hey, would you mind? And I would, if we do a little, quick little selfie video and just say hi to Russell. And so then I'd turn on my camera and I'd be like, hey, Russell, I'm at this so-and-so event and I'm here with Dave Asprey. And Dave Asprey has a piece of advice for you. And, and then I would Facebook Russell with the, the video. And I did that a few times. And then I, I eventually did send him in, in the marketing world. It's called the Lumpy Mail, right? It's a, it was a, a direct mail piece sent FedEx that was there to catch his attention. And it was just very creative and it was a little bit different. And Russell reached out to me on Facebook. And because of that, I got to know Russell and um, we still, you know, we're still face- Facebook friends. <laughs> so, but it was just being a little bit different. And now I've also done that and had no result response at all, right? The person just completely ignored me, but I only needed one. I only needed one person. Like the, 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 once I met Russell and sort of was, like he invited me to an event and in his event, there was, you know, really big players and got to know them. And I think it's the same way, whether you're in fiction, whether you're in romance, whether you're in nonfiction and whether you're in the poetry world, every niche has its sort of players and experts and the people that everyone looks up to. And nobody is, is unreachable. And, you know, no, nobody is unassailable. You sometimes you just have to be a little bit more creative in, in what you do and how you reach out to them. Right. So like, 
simply do I know somebody who knows of him and knows him? Great. Hey, do you mind if I do a quick selfie video for 30 seconds? Can you just say hi to, you know, I'm more Nicholas cage lives here in Vegas. I'm working now on people. I'm like, who knows Nicholas cage? So I can do selfie videos and be like, Hey Nicholas, I'm here with, you know, John Travolta. Say hi, Nick. <laughs> right. So, and I think that that's just a, a simple strategy that can work, especially if you're a little more introverted. Right. Yeah. That's an interesting one. That's a really interesting one. And actionable. Assuming you're going to parties where you know you're gonna know the people that know that person, you know I'm uh, not gonna be able to. Uh, I don't know too many people that are you know that are friends with Beyonce, and I'll be like, "Hey, Beyonce, look at me." Well, not not yet, right? But just when you start asking that question, eventually, eventually you can. And this is the other thing, like the the, 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 the it's no. Um, what's the? I'm trying to think. Being an author, and I can't find the right word right now. What am I thinking here? It's no. Well, you're it's, not a, it's, it's not a coincidence that when you, you hear Hollywood, everybody's always talking about the big parties. And it's also not a coincidence that you hear about a lot of like Colin Trevorrow. How did he go from a million dollar movie to suddenly he was directing a $250 million Jurassic Park movie? Met somebody at a party that was like, hey, come to the set. And he came to the set and was like, hey, let me introduce you to Steven Spielberg. And Steven Spielberg's like, you're really smart. You want to direct this movie? Now, I know it didn't happen that easily, but... He was he was at a party, met somebody, and right. So there right. there is something no, to say to the. No, I I don't doubt that it that it would work if you're in those situations. I'm just trying to think of the equivalent for an author who you know doesn't run in those circles. Um, how they would you know necessarily do that? I mean, you can reach out on Twitter or or you know, well, maybe not Facebook, Twitter, but, you know, Instagram. I mean, Twitter, nowadays, Twitter. like just being like proactive in in um so I'm, i'll share an experience where um there was somebody that i knew was an influencer and was just getting attacked in the media and r- ridiculously so it was all like garbage and i actually shot a video and was like posted it on their wall and was like this is why all the stuff being said about this person's bs right now just that one thing of actually having a video and posting it on their wall that was and was like standing up for that person put me on their radar you know, they reached out and was like, hey, I really appreciate that. Again, something simple didn't take very long to do. Like nowadays, it seems like that's probably a good strategy because it seems like every time you turn around, somebody's getting attacked in some way. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and the problem with online is like you can't defend yourself because then you look, uh, you know, defensive. Yeah. And it just <laughs> so you need someone else to defend you. <laughs> so, yeah. so again, like in the live thing, like, I, you know, I'm using that. I feel like I went off on a tangent with the parties and, and I, I actually, you know, completely understand. Uh, where you're coming with that. So for me, it's like, again, in my space, like how I really started like in, in sales copy, how did I really sort of go from kind of nothing to being in, in the rooms with some of the bigger well-known people? I would just, I would just go to events, you know, uh, and I'll, sh- I'll share an embarrassing story. Uh, so there was a, a, an event that I really wanted to go to. Um, it, it was uh, right after everything had sort of collapsed in my Hollywood career I like I had literally no money. I had like forty dollars in my bank account, and there was this event in San Francisco. Um, it was a thousand dollar event, and like I didn't have any money. And, and I reached out to the guy because I had met him at an event and said, "Hey, I would really like to be there. Things aren't great with me financially. What can you do?" And he said, "You know what? Just come and we'll figure out. Can you give me a couple hundred bucks and we'll figure out the rest?" And so that's what we did. So I remember actually sitting down and figuring out like how much money was it going to cost me in gas to get to San Francisco and then pay for my meals. And I realized I had just enough money to pay for my gas to the event and back, but I didn't have enough money for a hotel room. So I actually drove to San Francisco and I slept in my car. I had a suit. I was in a room with all these guys that were seven figure marketers was completely paranoid. They were going to discover that I was sleeping in my car and but at that event i met one guy and we started talking and he hired me and that was my first sales copy job and that job was big enough that it attracted the attention of a guy who was a a very big sort of coach in the sales copy world and he was like i can't believe you just did that like we should talk and then he started working with me and that launched my career right so you know, and so, and it was just, I put myself in a position where I could uh, meet people. And at the same time, I also put my, myself in a position where like, what would have happened to my reputation if somebody would have found out I was sleeping in my car? Like, I, I don't know if I would have recovered from the embarrassment of that, to be honest. 
But you're not embarrassed about it now, are you? But that that's what that's what launched my yeah, that's what launched my sales copy career and got me my first job, my first paying job, and that job got me out of, you know, not only having forty dollars in the bank account. You know, it reminds me of when people say that someone got lucky or whatever, and it's that, and then there's that, you know, response where you know you're making your own luck. You you know you could say, oh, you got lucky and you met that person, but you put you look what you had to do to put yourself into the position to meet that person. There was a lot of work that went into doing that that a lot of people wouldn't have done when the thought. Well, it was, to, a, and it was also a huge gamble, right? I, I was yeah. basically maxing out my last credit card to get there and home. And like, I would have had zero breathing room when I got back if that hadn't, hadn't worked out. But I, I think it's also just having a belief in, in, in yourself. And I have a tendency to be a bit of an optimist and, and feel like things are, are always going to work out. Even when things don't work out down the road, something will happen. You were like, Oh man, I'm glad that didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. Even when things aren't working out for you, they're working out for you. Yeah, it's like that old the old uh, was it the metaphor or the story of the the Japanese guy and his son and they they're they're raising uh, you know they have a small farm and a, and a couple of horses and, and they they're farmers and so they need the horse to till the field or else they can't grow anything and something happens one night and the gate gets left open and they come out and the horse is gone and the son is like oh my god like the horse is gone. I'm like, this is a disaster. This is the worst thing that's ever going to happen. We're, we're going to starve now because we can't do it. And, and, and his dad's like, well, good, good, good event, bad event. And who, who's to say, let's just deal with the, what the reality is. We don't have the horse. Let's do what we can. And then three days later, the kid wakes up in the morning and the horse is back, but it now has five mares wild mares that had gone and found they all came back so now instead of one horse they have five horses and the son's like oh my god we're rich we don't have to be farmers anymore now we're horse breeders and we're gonna be gazillionaires and this is the most amazing news ever and and you know the dad's like well is it good is it a good event or is it a bad event who who really knows what what we have is the horses so let's just deal with the horses and so then the kid's working with the horses and he falls off one of the horses and breaks his leg and then now the village is like oh yeah, that's really bad luck. Your son got like this horse broke his leg, and the dad's like, "Well, good luck, bad luck. Who knows?" And four days later, the emperor's army comes through. We're going to war against the Mongols, and all all men are being conscripted into the the army. Well, the son's got a broken leg, and he now he can't get conscripted <laughs> into the army, right? And so the oh, what good luck that is, right? And the dad's like, "Is it good luck or bad? Who knows, right?" So it's like. It's a, it, who, who, who ultimately really knows all you can do is just deal with the event that's in front of you. But Craig, to your, your point, right? The also thing is, is you need to put yourself in a position where those opportunities can find you. And again, I'm saying it live events because I, you know, a, a child of the, 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 the 2000 aughts, right? Live events were a big deal. We're in a new world now where online virtual communities are, are becoming the normal thing. So, you know, but so now it's just how do you leverage that to still connect with people? And, and, you know, I, I think personally, in some ways it is, it is a lot easier because if you're creative and you can create a, a, even like a short minute video that just is very entertaining and engaging and you can post that and tag people in it, you know, how many things is um, Elon Musk kind of caught his attention because it was creative and he's like, yeah. oh, that's great. That's different. And he'll yeah. comment on it, right? And so, so there, there are the opportunities that we, we have there if, if, we, if, we, if, if you want to use them. You don't have to, but they're there. Yeah. yeah. We're in a connected world now. And, I mean, look at uh, Roland and I. We've known each other and worked with each other for, uh, you know, going on 10 years now. Uh, we've never met in person. So, so wow. There's a straight order you took out. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah. no, we, we spoke to author Jen Milliken, who, yeah, she made a TikTok. Suddenly her four-year-old book that had been languishing in the, the, the ranks became a bestseller, got option for a movie. It's like the opportunities are out there and none of us are taking them and then we can't complain about it. That's it, right? And I, and I think it is, right? They're, they're just, and so that's part of the, um, I think part of the new era that we live in you know, the sort of the blessing and the curse. So up until maybe six, seven, eight years ago, right? The reason you wanted a publisher is because a publisher could help put your book in front of a lot of people. And that was sort of the reason why you wanted the publisher. 
But that's no longer the case now. Like we have the opportunity to put our book in front of whoever we really want to, if we have a bit of a budget or we're just very creative in how we're reaching out to people. Right. And like you said, to the TikTok videos are free. You know, can you can you create a, a an entertaining TikTok video? All so Russell Brunson with ClickFunnels, he he has this phrase where he says that you know you're only one funnel away. And so what that means is you're only one funnel away from becoming a millionaire. You only need one idea that sells one thing that then sells them a few other things and you can make a lot of money. With your book, it's the same. I mean, you're really like she proved right one TikTok video away from being a bestseller and having an option for a movie. Right. And once yeah. now that she's optioned for a movie, she's got an agent. And now what other opportunities are opening up? Right. So that's the best piece of advice. And that's part of what the movie's process is about is how do you take what you have and then leverage that to get you further down the road? Right. So if you only have one book, how do you leverage that the tools that we have to 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 to, to get to that next step? Maybe for you, it is a, a book publishing deal or an agent. Right. Or maybe it's just let me build my audience a little bit more so that when I release my second book, now I have an email list of a thousand people that I can promote to instead of only having, you know, grandma and mom buy my book. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, unfortunately, we are running out of time, so we're going to have to wrap this up. But I think that was a good actionable note to to wrap things up. Travis, thank you so much for spending the time taking to talk. Thank uh, you. It's been great. Um, so where can people find out more about you and everything that you've been speaking about today? Sure. Well, my book, Bestseller by Design, is obviously on Amazon. Uh, there it's 20 bucks. If you go to my website, which is bestsellerbydesign.com forward slash book, you can get the book for five bucks. And I also give you a bunch of goodies for just getting on my email list. So that's bestsellerbydesign.com forward slash book. And then obviously, if you want to get on my newsletter and kind of follow what I'm doing, you know, I, I am still active in, in screenwriting. I have my fiction books coming out. You know, I, we, we do have a, an online community of writers. That's just TravisCody.com. Twofirstnames.com. <laughs> um, well, that is wonderful. We'll make sure to pop a link down there in the description down below. Craig, before we wrap up, any last words? Uh, you know, just thanks for coming on, Travis. This was really fascinating. And I feel like we could talk to you about a whole number of topics. Um, but, you know, maybe this was the one podcast that, that is, uh, we're one podcast away from our big, you know, discovery. That's and it. this is the, the podcast. So uh, is it Nicholas Cage is going to hear this podcast and he's finally yeah. going to do that lunch with me here in Vegas. <laughs> yeah. Post this on his wall. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds well, good. Thank you so much, Travis. Thanks for and the if time, you've guys. If you've appreciated what Travis has to say, make sure you leave a comment down below. While you're down there, if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button, click like, um, share this with your friends, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Fully Booked. So until then, goodbye. Mm-hmm.